can claim that truth that you are with us, that you haven't left us, you haven't forsaken us, you aren't standing idly by, but you are with us every step of the way during every part of our lives. God, thank you that we can gather together and sing these truths and spend this time together. I pray that you would move and speak and challenge us this morning. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Oh, man, let's try that one more time. I know it's summer. Good morning. Okay, good. Oh, wow, that was much better. Wow, okay, good. Good, we're ready to go. So, what we've been doing, well, we're glad that you're here at Alliance, but what we've been doing over this summer is we've decided to take one book of the Bible and work our way through it for the summer. And so, what we've done is we've actually taken a letter, the letter of 1 Corinthians, the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and we've been working our way through this letter. And through it all, we've been learning a lot of different lessons about wisdom. So that's why we're calling this series Wise Up. We've been learning all these different areas of our life where we need clear wisdom. And so today we actually arrive at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is actually the last chapter. And so we've, this is the last week of this series. And so we're kind of wrapping everything up with 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, what you would find is you will find Paul the, kind of wrapping up loose ends and giving some final instructions as part of this letter. Remember, this is a letter, right? So think about a letter you would write or an email you would write, and at the end of it, you would probably have all these little things like, oh, don't forget to be at this meeting at this time, and don't forget about this person, and don't forget to do this. And you would have all these little kind of tidbits of information kind of at the end. And that's essentially what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 16. And so we want to look at that chapter this morning because even in all of the loose ends, even in all of the final instructions, I think we can see a theme. I think we can see multiple themes, but I think we can learn things even from these little bits of information that Paul is sharing at the end of this letter. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn it open to 1 Corinthians 16. You can follow along on your YouVersion app. You can follow along on the, on the screen behind me. But what we want to look at is, what do these final instructions teach us? And I think a theme that we see flowing throughout all of these verses is the theme of stewardship. Now, if you've been a part of a church, if you've been a part of our church or any other church, you've probably heard this word stewardship a lot, haven't you? Because we believe it's a biblical principle that, that we would be good stewards of what God has given us. And what essentially is stewardship? If you look at a real basic definition of stewardship, stewardship basically means caring and responsible management of something that has been entrusted to you. All right, So it's not ours, it doesn't belong to us, but it's been given to us to take care of for a while. All right? And we believe that that's a biblical principle, that God is going to give us things in our lives that he asks us to manage well, to take care of. And that's what I think we see Paul talking about in these final instructions to, to, the, Corinth, to the church in, in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16. Think of it this way. Let's say that you are about to go on a long trip and you have a good friend of yours that has a really, really nice car, all right? And that friend says, hey, you know what? You can borrow my car for your trip. Let's say you're driving across the country. You can borrow my car for your trip. And you agree to take your friend's car on this trip, 
all right? Now, this isn't like a rental car that you can just kind of drive into the ground. This isn't like I'm offering my minivan to you to drive. Like, this is like, this is a nice car. So when you sit behind the driver's seat of that car, are you going to treat that car a little bit differently than maybe you would even treat your own car or a rental car? Absolutely, because you know this person, right? You have a relationship with them. You don't want to break that relationship. You don't want to break that trust that you have with that person. And so when you're driving that car, maybe you take the turns just a little bit slower than you would any other time. Maybe you don't go quite so fast over the speed limit that you would normally do. Maybe you think about, you're very aware of all the, all the, um, the buttons and the, the features and the options that are in the car, and you don't want to break anything. You don't want to get anything dirty, right? You become hyper aware of what you're doing with that, with that car because it doesn't belong to you. You've been asked to take care of it. And in sometimes in our lives, God is going to ask us to take care of things that are valuable, that are important. And how we take care of those things matters. But sometimes I think we lose our focus. We lose our focus on the things that God is asking us to take care of. And so we don't treat them necessarily the way that we should. We don't treat them with the kind of care and value that we should. And so we kind of get off base. We kind of get off, off line with what God is asking us to do. And so that's why I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 16, because in here I think we're going to see some things that Paul is teaching the church in Corinth about how to be good stewards, and there are lessons that we can apply to our lives as well. So I want us to look this morning at three different areas of stewardship that I think Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 16. The first one is this, ready? To be a good steward, we need to steward our money well. Yes, everybody is super excited, ready? We're going to talk about our personal finances. Isn't everybody excited about that? We love talking about our money, don't we? No, absolutely not. It dry, like, it, some of you are already squirming in your seat that, oh, shoot, we're going to talk about money. And, and I find it very convenient that this is the week that Pastor Ron decides to take vacation and say, hey, Mike, go ahead and talk about money because none of us like to talk about money, right? And so, but here's the thing. Money is a big part of your life, isn't it? Some of you are like, it's not a big part of my life, but... What I'm saying is this, is that money is a big part of your life, whether or not you want to agree with that. Because even if you don't have a lot of money, you think about the money that you do have, don't you? You think about how you're going to spend it. You think about how much you have or don't have. You think about the things that you would like to buy that you can't buy. And so we think about money a lot. And we get focused on money. And sometimes our focus on money can take us to places where we don't need to be. And we believe that money that possessions, that things are one of the things that God entrusts us with to manage well. And so we need to learn how God teaches us to manage well. There are lots of different biblical principles about what we do with our money. But Paul gives us one example about how we can manage our money well in 1 Corinthians 16. It's the first four verses of the chapter. Here's what Paul says. He says, Now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. When I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me to go along, they can travel with me. 
So what is Paul doing here? Paul is asking them to collect money to give to another group of people, to receive an offering that is going to help somebody else. And even in these short four verses, I think we can learn some things about giving, about our heart, about our attitude when it comes to giving, to, uh, to, whether it's to the church or to a cause or to a ministry or to a person. No matter where we give in our lives, I think Paul teaches us some principles here about giving. So let's look at a few things that describe what giving is that Paul talks about in these verses. First thing. First thing is that giving is a blessing. Giving is a blessing. One of our core values here at Alliance is that we get to give. That word get is very important, all right? Because a lot of times, many of us feel like God just wants my money. The church just wants my money. And it's not about getting to give. It's an obligation to give. It's a duty to give. It's a ritual, maybe, to give. But we want to, we want to model, we want to show, we want to teach that we get the opportunity to give. Because giving is a blessing. Giving is an opportunity not only that we receive a blessing, but that we can in turn bless others whenever we give our money. Think about what Paul is asking here in verse 1. What's he asking for? He's asking for the church in Corinth to raise money to give to the church in Jerusalem. Why would he be asking that? Because at this time in the, in the history of the church in Jerusalem, there was a lot, they were struggling. There was a lot of poverty in Jerusalem at the time. There was a, actually a famine going on, so food was scarce. And so everything was more expensive, and they needed help. And so Paul was asking the church in Corinth and also the churches in Galatia to be a part of giving to what God was trying to do, to be a blessing to the church in Jerusalem. And so Paul was asking the church in Corinth to be a blessing to the church in Jerusalem. God is going to ask us in our lives to give in order to be a blessing to other people, a blessing to ministries, a blessing to a church, a blessing to whoever God is calling us to give to. But we need to be able to view this as a blessing, not an obligation. And when we view giving as a blessing, I believe we become better stewards of our money. We become better managers of our money. Because we get the same opportunity that the church in Corinth had. So giving is a blessing. Second thing, giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. Look at Paul's instructions to the Corinthians. and I think it's in verse 2. He says this, um, he says, he asked them to set aside a portion of their money on the first day of the week to collect it, to bring it together. And essentially what he's telling them to do is bring it to the church so that the church can collect it and gather it and manage it and then organize it to send it to Jerusalem. And so Paul was instructing them that to make this part of their regular, their regular schedule, to make this part of their DNA, to make this part of who they were, and giving was actually a really big part of the early church. Because the early church, the people in the early church saw needs all around them. And so they would, every time they gathered, they would try to come up with something to give to somebody else. It was part of their DNA. It was truly part of their worship. You've probably heard us use that statement here at Alliance, that we get to give, an, when we give our offering, we do it as an act of worship. We want to teach and model and show 
that giving an offering is just as important as singing a song or hearing a sermon or anything that we do in this room when we gather on Sunday mornings. Because giving should be part of who we are. It should be part of our DNA. It should be part of what we do on a regular basis. And when that happens, we become good stewards of God's money. Because giving also shows our gratitude and our appreciation to God. That's what the people in the early church were doing. They were showing their appreciation to God for meeting their needs. And when we give back to God, we do it in a way to show our gratitude, to show our appreciation for all that God has done for us, that we would just give a part of it back to Him and a part of it back to the work that He's doing. Giving is an act of worship as well because it also connects us to the work of God. It connects us to what God is doing through different ministries and missionaries and international workers all over the planet. And giving connects us to that as an act of worship. And so giving is a blessing. Giving is an act of worship. And now we're going to get really uncomfortable. Are you ready? Here we go. Giving is for everyone. Giving is for everyone. It's silent in here. That's okay. But here we go. Ready? Giving is for everyone. Look at what Paul says. There's a very important word in the verse that, in verse uh, 2, I believe it is, that Paul says. He says this. This is from the NLT version that I like to use a lot. It says, On the first day of the week, you should each, each, ah, that, that word stings a little bit, doesn't it? You should each. Well, maybe that's a fluke. Let's check another version, all right? Let's check another version of the Bible. The NIV version says this, on the first day of every week, each one of you, ah, there's that word each again. Why does that keep showing up in there? Each one of you should give. If we are going to call ourselves part of the body of Christ, if we call this church our home, if we call, I'm not even talking about this church, any church, if you call any church your home church, you are being asked to contribute. You are being asked to participate. And God isn't doing that because God needs your money. God does not need your money. God wants to help us learn how to be committed to something, how to show our commitment to something. And and for some of us, there is no greater way to show our commitment to something than by giving some of our money to it, is there? And so God asks each one of us to contribute, each one of us to participate. Think of it this way. When you were a kid, you were probably asked to do chores at your house, weren't you? You probably had a list of jobs that you had to do on a weekly basis to contribute to the life of your family. We hated chores growing up. Every Saturday morning, we weren't allowed to go outside until we completed this list of like, it felt like a hundred things that my mom wrote down, I swear. But we weren't allowed to do anything fun until we did our chores. But my, my parents were trying to teach us, and your parents are trying to teach you, that you were part of something. You were a part of a family. And being part of a family means that you contribute. It means that you participate in what's going on there. So let's say, what if I went home tomorrow and I said, you know what? I'm done contributing. I'm done. I'm I'm still going to live here. I'm still going to show up here and use everything here. But I'm not going to contribute anything else to what's going on here. And you guys can just figure it out on your own. Would that be fair? Would that make sense? 
So I, I leave my two daughters out there to try to figure it out on their own. Like, I mean, that doesn't work, right? Like, we all, I have to be a part of what's going on in my home. I have to contribute to what's happening in the life of my family. And if we are a part of a family, if we are a part of a church family, we are being asked to contribute. Because my family would never realize its fullest potential unless we are all contributing. This church will never realize its full potential until we are all contributing. Until we are all participating in what God is asking us to do. I know that's hard. And I don't like saying it half the time, believe me. But it's in there. I can't ignore it. That Paul is asking each one to participate. God is asking each one to participate. And so what way are you going to participate? Now listen, we're not going to send a form home with you today and saying, hey, this year you're going to give X amount of dollars. We're not doing that. And we're not going to come after you and say, this is what you need to give us. We're not doing that. We will never do that here. What you give is between you and God. We believe that there are a lot of biblical principles that teach us how much to give. And we don't have time to get into a lot of that stuff today, but we believe there are a lot of things that teach us what we should be doing when we participate in, in the life of the church. But I would just ask you, what are you doing to contribute? What are you doing to participate? Because giving is for everyone. So giving is a blessing. Giving is an act of worship. And giving is for all of us. But money isn't the only area of our life that God asks us to be a good steward of. There are other areas of our lives, and we talk a lot about money when we talk about stewardship, but I believe God asks us to be good stewards, good managers, to take care of other areas of our life as well. And so let's talk about some of those other areas. The next thing that I think we see Paul talking about in 1 Corinthians 16 is this, is that God asks us to be a good steward of our opportunities. To be a good steward of our opportunities. If you keep reading through 1 Corinthians 16, if you look at verses uh, 8 and 9, what you'll realize is that Paul shifts from talking about money, talking about receiving an offering, and then he starts talking about some of his upcoming travel plans. He's saying, hey, I'm going to go here, and then I'm going to go here. And he's saying, eventually I'm going to end up with you guys back in Corinth, and I might spend a long time with you there, but until that day, here's where I'm going. Remember, this is loose ends, right? This is kind of final instructions. And then he says something interesting in verses 8 and 9 of 1 Corinthians 16. This is what he says. He says, in the meantime, I will be staying here in Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. There is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. There is a wide open door for a great work here. Paul sees an opportunity, and he doesn't want to miss it. And so Paul says, I can't leave here yet, because there's still something going on here that I need to be a part of. It was an opportunity Paul talks a lot about opportunities in the letters that he writes in the New Testament. There's another spot in the book of Ephesians, which is another letter to the church in Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 5, in verses 15 through 17, Paul says this, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Here it is. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. 
don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Make the most of every opportunity. God is going to put opportunities in front of you in your life. The question is, what are you going to do with them? God is going to put opportunities in, you, in front of you to make a difference in the life of somebody else, to be a blessing to somebody else, to share your life with somebody else, to share the love of Christ with them, maybe even to talk about your faith with them. The question is, what are we going to do with these opportunities? We are all going to have them. Have you ever missed an opportunity? And you regret it? Like you think about it, man, I really missed that opportunity. I wish I had done that. Think about this. Let's say like a bunch of your friends are going to go out one night and they say, hey, you should come along and you decide, no, I don't feel like going out. I'm going to sit on the couch and binge watch HGTV. And so that's what you do. You sit on your couch with a big bowl of ice cream and you binge watch HGTV until you pass out. Because some of us do that, right? Let's just be honest. So the next morning you start getting text messages from your friends saying, you're not going to believe what we did last night. This is who we met, and this is what we did, and it was amazing, and you missed it. I can't believe you missed it. How would you feel if you missed that opportunity? You would regret it, right? You'd be frustrated by it. And hopefully, that frustration leads to you wanting to make the most of your opportunities in the future. But there are lots of different reasons why we miss opportunities in our lives. And there's lots of different reasons. One, we're, we're busy, right? We're really busy people. We have a lot going on. And since we're so busy, sometimes when an opportunity presents itself, we work our way around it just because we don't have time to deal with that right now. Or maybe our priorities are out of whack. And if our priorities are out of whack and we're not thinking the way we should, we're not putting our faith where it should be in our list of priorities, when God presents us an opportunity, we just don't see it or we miss it because our priorities aren't there. Our mind isn't there. Or, some of us like sitting on the couch watching HGTV. We're comfortable. Maybe we're even a little bit lazy sometimes. Because it's just easier that way, isn't it? It's easier sometimes to just be comfortable. But God doesn't call us to be comfortable. God calls us to make the most of our opportunities. Look at what Paul says in this last part of um, Ephesians uh, 5, 17. He says, Don't ask thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. If we want to make the most of our opportunities, we don't want to act thoughtlessly. We want to understand what the Lord wants us to do. When we understand what the Lord wants us to do, we aren't going to miss opportunities, are we? Because we're in sync and we're in step with what God is doing and how God is moving and how God is working. And so when we're in line with God, when we're following after God, when an opportunity presents itself, we're going to see it. And we're going to understand the best ways to make, to make the most of that opportunity. Whether it's being a blessing to somebody that's hurting. Whether it's speaking encouragement into somebody's life. Whether it's showing them who Jesus is by our words and our actions. But that happens best. We are the best stewards of our opportunities when we are in sync with God. And we believe there are lots of ways that we can be in sync with God, whether it's through 
personal spiritual disciplines like reading scripture and prayer and listening for what God is asking us to do, or even being a part of a church body like this where other people are around you, encouraging you and teaching you and strengthening you and helping you grow so that as those opportunities present themselves, you won't miss them. But God is asking us to be good stewards of our opportunities. And we can be better stewards when we understand what the Lord wants us to do. So, we're being asked to be good stewards of our money. We're being asked to be good stewards of our opportunities. And then finally, the, a third area that Paul talks about is this, is that God, God asks us to be good stewards of our relationships. Of our relationships. So after Paul kind of talks about his travel plans, after Paul talks about this great opportunity that he has in Ephesus, he stops and he says, okay, to wrap up the chapter, he starts writing a list of people. And he says, this person is going to come visit you. When that happens, here's how I want you to treat them. And then this person might stop by. And when this person stops by, I, this is what they're there for. And this is what I need you to do with them. And then, this per, and then these people might come. And when these people come, this is what, how I want you to interact with them. And he's teaching them about all these different people that are going to stop by the city of Corinth, to, to visit the church, to be with the people. And he wants them to focus on how it is that they're going to interact with those people. What kind of relationship is the church in Corinth going to have with this list of people in 1 Corinthians 16? And one of the very first people that Paul talks about in this list of people is a guy by the name of Timothy. Now, Timothy was Paul's young protege, all right? Paul was teaching Timothy how to be the next Paul. Paul was, at this point in Paul's career, he was traveling from city to city, kind of organizing and strengthening churches and building them up to make the biggest impact they could possibly make. And he's teaching Timothy how to do that as well, so that when Paul is gone, Timothy can continue that work. But at this point in Timothy's life, he's young, he's immature, he's not very confident. And so Paul's a little bit worried about what's going to happen when Timothy shows up in Corinth. Because Paul knows the people in Corinth, too. And he knows that th this relationship might not work unless they're very careful about how they interact with each other. And so here's what Paul says about Timothy in verses 10 and 11. He says this, When Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. He is doing the Lord's work just as I am. Don't let anyone treat him with contempt, Send him on his way with your blessing when he returns to me. I expect him to come with the other believers. Remember, Paul knew Timothy well. Paul knew that Timothy was going to need encouragement and not discouragement. And so Paul wanted to talk about this relationship that was going to happen between Timothy and the church and the people in the church. And as he talks about these things, I think we see some truths. I think we see some advice that we can apply to our lives as well. Some things about the instructions that Paul gives about Timothy teach us how to be good stewards of our relationships as well. The first thing that I see Paul saying in these verses is this. Is that if we are going to be good stewards of our relationships, then our love has to outweigh our fear. Our love has to be greater than our fear. Look at the first thing that Paul says about Timothy. He says, when Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. Because, again, Paul knew Timothy. 
Paul knew Timothy's confidence level at this point in his career. The NIV version says this. It says, see to it that he has nothing to fear. See to it that he has nothing to fear. Timothy was young. Timothy was fragile. Timothy needed encouragement. And so Paul is saying, when Timothy shows up, I need you to love him. I need you to encourage him. Now, Paul isn't saying you have to blindly accept everything Timothy says. Paul knew Timothy was going to make mistakes. Paul knew Timothy was going to do things wrong. And he wasn't saying you have to agree with everything Timothy does. But what he's saying is, because Timothy is young, because he's fragile, you have to love him well. Do not intimidate him. Do not scare him. Do not shake his confidence in the work that the Lord is asking him to do. At the end of the day, fear and intimidation will never, ever, ever be the, healthy founda- be the foundation of a healthy relationship. Ever. What relationship do you know where intimidation is actually what builds a healthy relationship? It doesn't work that way, does it? Love builds a healthy relationship. And if our fear and our intimidation outweigh our love, then we're not being good stewards of our relationships. And so Paul teaches us, don't intimidate him. Don't let him fear. We know he's going to make mistakes. We know he's going to mess up. Love him anyway. And so if we're going to be good stewards of our relationships, our love has to outweigh our fear. Second thing, Paul says that if we're going to be good stewards of our relationships, then our acceptance has to be greater than our disgust. Our acceptance has to be greater than our disgust. Look at the next thing that Paul says about Timothy. Don't let anyone treat him with contempt. Don't let anyone treat him with contempt. In the NIV version it says, no one should refuse to accept him. That word contempt there means disapproval or disgust. So Paul is saying, listen, I know that he's young. I know that he's going to mess up. But I want your acceptance of him to outweigh your disgust of him. Because you're going to get frustrated with him. You're going to get frustrated with some of the things that he does. He's not going to do things the way that you like all of the time. But your acceptance of him must outweigh your disgust. In our lives, we are going to encounter people like Timothy, aren't we? We are going to encounter people like Timothy who frustrate us, who do things differently than we do them, who don't look like us, who don't act like us, who don't say the things that we want them to say. And how we respond to people like that in our lives matters. What we do with those relationships matter. Our acceptance has to outweigh our disgust. I am not saying, I am not saying that you have to agree with and accept everything that somebody else does. You are going to have relationships with people in your life that you're going to disagree with. Whether you're going to disagree with a, a moral issue, a political issue, any kind of issue you can possibly argue about, you are going to have people in your life that you disagree with. But that does not mean that you should not accept them and love them. Our acceptance 
must outweigh our disgust. See, here's the thing. We aren't always called to agree with other people, but we are always called to love other people. So how do we do that? How can you be a good steward of the relationships in your life where maybe you're a little frustrated with somebody and they don't think the way you think and they don't act the way you want them to act and they don't do the things that you want them to do? How can we be good stewards of that relationship? Because God teaches us that our acceptance should outweigh our disgust. And then finally, the last thing. Paul teaches us that if we want to be good stewards of our relationships, then our blessing should outweigh our cursing. Our blessing should outweigh our cursing. Look at the last thing he says about Timothy. He says, send him on his way with your blessing. Send him on his way with your blessing. What do you think that meant? Do you think that meant send him on his way with your money? Do you think send him on your way, send him on his way with your supplies? Send him on his way with your love and your support and your encouragement? I think it probably meant all of those things. That in order for the church in Corinth to be a blessing to Timothy, it meant helping meet the needs of Timothy and sending him on his way with a blessing. In our lives, we are going to be asked to send people on their way with our blessing. What does that look like? How does that work? Think of it this way. Have you ever heard the statement, leave something better than you found it? You ever heard that? We're going to leave this place better than we found it. I've heard people say that a lot. I I grew up playing a decent amount of baseball, and every time we would have an away game at somebody else's field, when the game was over, win or lose, the coaches would always say, leave this dugout better than you found it, which meant clean up all of your junk. Clean up all of your cups, all your wrappers, all your stuff. Clean it up, get it out of here, leave this place cleaner than you found it. I hated that saying, especially after we lost a game. The last, thing after I, the last thing I wanted to do after I lost to the team that owns this field is clean up their mess. I didn't want to do that. I was frustrated. I was upset. I didn't want to leave it better than I found it. But, that's, but in order to show respect to the other team, in order to show respect to their property, in order to show respect to the coaches, we were being asked to go above and beyond, to leave it better than we found it. What if we took that same principle and applied it to our relationships? What if when somebody interacts with you this week, they leave better than you found them? What would that look like? For somebody to leave a a, a conversation with you, to leave an interaction with you better than when you found them? How would your thoughts have to change? How would your words have to change? How would your actions have to change? if you were going to leave that person better than you found them. Because if we are going to be good stewards of our relationships, that's what God is asking us to do. To be a blessing to other people and to leave them better than what we found them. Maybe spend some time this week evaluating your relationships and thinking about how it is that you've been interacting with other people and how it is you've been leaving other people that have been around you. I did that a little bit this week, and it made me very uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie. It made me think about the way I speak to certain people in my life. It made me think about the way I treat certain people in my life. 
And if I want to leave those people better than I found them, there are things about me that have to change. And if we are going to be good stewards of our relationships, then our blessing should far outweigh our cursing. Now, relationships are messy. I get that. You can't just take every relationship in your life and plug it into this outline, and it's going to work great. It's going to just fit nice and neat in all these different categories. It's not going to do that. I get it. Because relationships are weird, and they have many layers, and they have many factors, and there's all kinds of different things that are going on within your relationships. But I believe that if we are willing to try, if we are willing to be aware, if we are willing to try to be good stewards by recognizing that our love should outweigh our fear, that our acceptance should outweigh our disgust, and that our blessing should outweigh our cursing, it's worth it. It's worth it. And it might be very small steps that you have to take. And it might take a long time to see a difference. But it's worth it. It's worth it. So God is asking us to be good stewards. And if we are going to be good stewards, it's going to require our wallet, it's going to require our time, and it's going to require our relationships. And so we must be willing to hand those areas of our life over to God and say, God, I'm willing. Use me. Do what you want with these areas of my life. And when we do that, it's not going to be perfect. It's not always going to be pretty. But when we do that, God will use it. God will, you will see things happening in your life that maybe you haven't seen before. And so this week, may we be good stewards May we manage and care for the things that God has given us well. And may we recognize that when God asks us, that we will be willing to do what he asks. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your word, even when it's hard. Even when it's things that might kind of show areas of our lives that we don't necessarily want to think about all the time or we want to talk about all the time. But God, I thank you that if we are willing to listen and if we are willing to follow your lead on these things, God, that you can do something far greater than we can do on our own. So God, may we be willing to listen to you this week. May we be willing to follow you this week. May we be willing to care for and manage the things that you've put in our lives well. And may you be glorified for all of it. In your name we pray. Amen.